Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watts Podcast. We keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of June 24th through the 26th, 2022. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. I don't know about you, but this last week of June seems to really be taking forever to pass by, perhaps because I actually have a long weekend coming up ahead with the 4th of July holiday, plus another day off that I took off with the wife for a out-of-town trip uh, to, you know, just to spend some time outside of the city, but we may make time to go visit the drive-in theater. So uh, you know the, how the week tends to drag on when you have something to look forward to. I think that's what's happening with me. However, with box office goes, we don't have to wait any longer for some of the biggest news of the year so far. Uh, quickly skipping over our number one film of the week for a quick second, uh, the top story this week has to be Top Gun Maverick hitting the $1 billion mark worldwide, the first film of 2022 to do so, and the 49th film ever to do so in history. Uh, this weekend, it dropped a mere 34% domestically to come in at $29.6 million in 3,948 theaters, a per theater average of $7,501 for a $520 million domestic total to date. Overseas, it hit $484 million, putting it at about $1.01 billion. I don't think too much more can be said than what we have over the past couple of weeks. Um, it's never had a drop worse than 42%. Uh, it's been surprisingly strong for an American-centric film overseas. Uh, and you know, this is definitely the box office story that no one, uh, the blockbuster box office story of the year no one saw coming. Um, I still got to say everything ever all at once was also a pleasant surprise. Anyway, uh, back to Top Gun. What's more, with the 4th of July weekend coming up, I wouldn't be surprised to see the drops be single digit potentially um, and get a bun- and a huge boost especially as more and more places I see are putting it back in IMAX um, after you know Jurassic World and like you it tend to not be what people are looking for not even going to try to speculate how high this thing can fly, um, but you know there are some other fun stats going on here. First off, it is the first film, I believe, uh, according to someone on the box office subreddit, to have 28 days in a row of $5 million daily totals, and it's up to $31 million through Sunday. Uh, another stat, of all the films that opened to at least $100 million opening weekend, Top Gun already has the highest domestic multiplier, sitting at 4.118x, uh, with number two being Shrek 2 at 4.084, uh, the only other 4x multiplier of that stat, of that tier. Uh, meanwhile, at the bottom of this list, uh, Batman vs. Superman had a 1.99x multiplier uh, domestically. And all of this thinking that you know Tom Cruise pushed for a 120-day uh, theatrical window, so it's not going to be. This one's not going to be in theaters for until Christmas time, I think. Now that being said, Top Gun is not the highest grossing film of this weekend. That one goes by the smallest of margins to the new release from Baz Luhrmann, Elvis, a biopic starring Austin Butler and featuring Tom Hanks, debuting to $31.2 million in 3,906 theaters for 7,991 per theater average. Um, it's a little bit lower than Box Office Pro's $38 million forecast, uh, but overseas it brought in $20 million for about $51 million or so worldwide in its first weekend. Now, th- this one's pretty interesting review-wise. Over on CinemaScore, it got an A-, minus, um, tied for Baz Luhrmann's best ever. Um, and on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 78% from critics and a 94% from audiences. Uh, with praise for Baz Luhrmann's maximalist style, as well as Austin Butler's lead performance. Uh, the main criticism seems to be that it is a very long two-hour and 40-minute runtime, uh, which also does affect box office. The theaters are able to only get so many screenings in there. Now, to Elvis's credit, and perhaps why he was able to take the crown this weekend away from Top Gun, this, um, it got nearly 50% of its audience over 45 years old and 60% over 35 years old, again, skewing older with 
you know, older audiences liking the film at about 90% definitely would recommend. Um, this, the, comparables, the comparable films here are probably two other biopics of musical icons in recent years, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, starring Rami Malek from Queen, about Queens, and then Rocket Man, starring Tyron Egerton as Sir Elton John. Uh, the former opened $51 million domestic and went on to make $216 million the domestic, uh, with a 4.24x multiplier, helped by a holiday release period, um, and an $886 million worldwide, with a massive $670 million overseas, led by Japan's $115 million. Uh, meanwhile, Rocketman opened lower than Elvis, uh, $25 million, and ended at $95 million domestic, a 3.75x multiplier opening, I believe, in, in, in March, um, with a $192 million opening worldwide. Now, I suspect Elvis is a bit of an older musical icon and a bit more America-centric than these two British artists, um, so that may limit its overseas potential as well as any appeal for younger audiences. So, you know, if Rocketman got a 3.75x multiplier, very conservatively, let's say Elvis gets a 3x multiplier, that puts it at 93 million domestic, which with a generous 50-50 million, 50-50 overseas split, similar to Rocketman, would put it at 180 million or so worldwide. Now, given the budget is about 85 million, its hypothetical break-even point would be about 212 million dollars, which this comes a little bit sort of, though I'm sure it would make it up on uh, streaming and, and digital sales. Um, now, that said, if the multiplier comes up to 3.5x, still lower than Rocketman's, um, then that would get it to 108.5 domestic and 217 worldwide, which would be, I think, good enough to break even. I think the real hope for them, though, is that this ends up nabbing somehow a Best Os- an Oscar- best Actor nomination, Oscar nomination for Austin Butler, maybe a few technical nominations for costume or hair and makeup or production um, to really help build hype for it comes awards season and justify a re-release or at the very least drive digital sales. Um, overall, I think the biggest takeaway is that we're past the point in the pandemic where you know you had to be a film targeting targeting a young audience to get anyone to come out to see you. Um, you know, put out a crowd pleaser for an older audience and they will come out uh, which Top Gun and Elvis has both shown now, speaking of cloud crowd pleasers, uh, Jurassic World Dominion came in third this weekend with a 55% drop to $26.7 million in 4,233 theaters. It's a per theater average of 6,315 uh, and a running domestic total of about $303 million in week three. Overall, it's made about, not, about $445 million overseas, uh, so that puts it at about $750 million worldwide. About $18 million behind the Batman's final worldwide holds for number four on the annual chart, so it should be able to get into that number four spot uh, next week. Uh, looking at how it's comparing to the other Jurassic World films, it's, a, again, like last week, tracking about a million or two away from the weekend numbers for a Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, making about $27 million this weekend compared to $28 million from the from the prior film in Weekend 3. The main difference seems to be the weekday numbers are lacking, with last week week's $15 million weekly difference between the, this one and the previous film um, doubling to a $30 million gap this weekend. I think at this rate, I'll probably end up, call it the 360-380 million range, um, which with a 35% overseas domestic split um, has it about a $900 million range, though it is also possible that a billion dollars is still in play here. Uh, fourth place this weekend went to another newcomer, another 
uh, Universal Blumhouse production thriller horror film The Black Phone, starring Ethan Hawke, directed by Scott Derrickson, opened to 3,150 theaters for $23.6 million per theater average of $7,503, which actually barely outdid Top Gun Mavericks per theater average. Um, overseas, it made about another $13 million or so, putting it at $37 million, which is off of an $18 million production budget, um, which is a typical low-budget uh, hallmark of a Blumhouse film. Um, the domestic number comes in just about the $20 million forecast by Box Office Pros, which is good, and getting a cinema score of a B-plus for a horror film is basically an A-plus. Uh, so, you know, um, since horror films tend to be a little bit more divisive, this is really good. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, it got 84% from critics, 90% from audiences. Um, once again, Blumhouse just has the magic fingers. You know, between the lower $18 million budget and the strong and the strong word of mouth, um, you know, if it, that $18 million budget translates to, you know, 45, $45 million break-even point, which it, the film should handily please, please blah, breeze past. Um, now, I'm not a horror fan, so comparables are a bit hard for me to come up with, but say we go with Scott Derrickson's film uh, Sinister, that had a 2.67x multiplier, uh, which puts this one at about 61 million domestic or so, which again, very adequate for a break-even for, break for the film. Uh, rounding out the top five is Pixar's Lightyear, a big stinker of a drop down to 64%, uh, to only uh, 18 million or so in 4,255 theaters for a per theater average of about 4,268 and the running total of 89.2 million domestic uh, with another 63 million overseas putting at 153 million worldwide. Now, looking at the second weekend drop of Pixar's summer films over the past decade or so, this is the worst second weekend drop they've ever had. Worse than Cars 2's 60% drop back in 2011, or Cars 3's 55% drop. Um, I think the reality is sinking in that families have really been conditioned to wait for Pixar films to come out on Disney Plus before watching them, which, transparency's sake, um, unless I go see it at the drive-in theater, I'll probably end up doing myself. Um, again, Lightyear did open to $50 million last weekend, so it would take an abysmal uh, 2x multiplier um, which you know the, the worst uh, you know car, uh, Cars film still did like a at least like a 2.8x multiplier um, so for them to not hit $100 million is still not likely but again this is very much gearing up to be one of the lowest uh, grossing Pixar films of all time now, outside the top five, we have a couple of interesting uh, news items. Uh, there's an Indian film, uh, Juk Juk Jio, which made $604,000 in 318 theaters for a per theater average of $1,899. Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once finally dips below a million dollars in its weekly, weekend numbers, sitting about $66 million or so, which is probably about where they'll end up finally. Um, though there are rumors they will get a re-expansion over the long weekend. Um, however, the real limited winner this weekend is Marcel the Cell with Seuss on, which is an adorably cute film based on a series of YouTube videos from 2010. This one opened in six theaters uh, to $159,000, but it's a massive peer theater average of $26,000. Now, this is not quite everything everywhere all at once is $50,000 per theater average opening, but still a lot more promising than a lot of other limited films so far this year. I actually myself went to see this on Thursday at the Angelica Film Center here in New York, so I'll go cover that at the end of the episode in what I've been watching. Uh, Marcel Cell does go wide on July 15th. 
Overall, total box office this weekend is $134 million, which compared to the equivalent weekend in 2019 is about was $151 million. Interestingly enough, it was also the second weekend of a Pixar film and uh, had another new debuting uh, horror film, Annabelle Comes Home, and another musical film, Yesterday, based on the music of the Beatles. Um, I think the big differences here is that it was lacking uh, uh, this... Um, uh, the, the interesting thing is that uh, this weekend is the first weekend since 2020 um, where all top five films made at least $10 million. The last time this happened was the weekend of the first Sonic film coming out with, with week two of Birds of Prey as well as Fantasy Island, The Pho Photograph, and Bad Boys for Life in the top 10. Again, just another sign that we've definitely uh, started to recover. That said, you know, I think one of the, the key things here is that it's all concentrated in these top five. It drops off from $10 million at number five down to, you know, about $1.8 million or so for Doctor Strange at number six, um, which, you know, back in 2019, this equivalent weekend, um, 15 more films made at least a million dollars. So, again, this was still very much more top heavy, but audiences are coming out for these top for these biggest newer newest films uh, i'll take focus where i can get it uh, in any case this coming long holiday weekend the biggest the new releases are illuminations newest minion film the rise of Gru, uh set is set to open um box office post is forecasting it for about 65 to 77 million dollars which tracks with despicable me threes about and 2017 opening of 72 million dollars uh, there's also period drama mr malcolm's list coming out from bleaker street um though there is no forecast provided for that one. Now, overseas, there's not too much aside from Top Gun Maverick dominating as well. It did open in Korea this past weekend to $9.6 million for an easy number one, about 57% market share. Uh, meanwhile, Korean's film The Roundup in its sixth weekend uh, approaches $97 million US uh, for its lifetime total. Uh, over in Japan, uh, yeah, Top Gun was number one, but they also debuted the second part of the sequel of the live-action Full Metal Alchemist film, which, if you know anything about the first one, shouldn't surprise you that this one came in at less than a million US dollars for eighth place. Uh, meanwhile, Dragon Ball Super has hit 12.5 million US dollars in Japan. Um, that's coming stateside via Crunchyroll uh, in August. Uh, Crunchyroll also announced they're bringing a new anime movie for uh, the time I was reincarnated as a slime in 2023 um, after November Japan, Japan release date. As far as the most recent effort due to Kaisen Zero, um, that one hit 180 million US dollars worldwide, which is the eighth highest grossing anime film of all time, surpassing the first Pokemon movie, um, though of course not domestically. Uh, over in China, Jurassic World Dominion slowed down, uh, stepped down to number two with 12.5 million this weekend for a total of 115 million to date, which is the highest grossing holiday film uh, um, you know, of this year. Now, number one for this weekend went to local drama Lighting Up the Stars, making about $32 million in its debut. Slowly but surely, uh, China is coming back, which I think Disney executives are probably breathing a sigh of relief uh, for December come with Avatar. Uh, speaking of Disney and execs, uh, looking beyond the numbers, uh, Disney's CEO Bob Sapek's contract has officially been extended for three years as voted unanimously by the Disney board. So we've got another three years of him running the company to the ground. Uh, I'm only half joking here. Uh, sticking with Disney for a bit, though, it looks like Disney's currently announced plans for Star Wars films to come out in holiday 2023. Not likely to happen as Taika Waititi, who at this point with... Um, uh, Ryan Johnson and um, um, Patty Jenkins both having other commitments keeping them from uh, working on their Star Wars pictures at the moment. Um, Taika Waititi is kind of the default next uh, Star Wars film coming out and he's kind of talked about doing the press tour for uh, Thor Love and Thunder that he's still working on the script. He hasn't finalized it at this point. So 
production-wise, it's probably not going to get done in time for a December 2023 release date. That means that a lot of uh, other um, a lot of other companies are putting their films in that time slot to take advantage of the gap. Um, Sony uh, put their Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel, codenamed Firehouse, uh, in December 2023. Um, and in this end, Illumination puts their June 2023 animated film Migration back to December 2022. So yeah, I would expect to see a couple more films moving into that slot uh, around that time period. In other new movie news uh, date, uh, new movie date news, it looks like the next installment of the Creed franchise, Creed 3, has been pushed off of its November release date back to March 2023. No real reason was given, but now it's looking like March is super crowded between the Haunted Mansion movie, Aquaman, John Wick 4, Scream, and probably more on the way. Uh, we've also got news of the third Big Fat Greek Wedding movie uh, starting production, which is legendary as far as legs go for rom-com films, so keep an eye out for that whenever that comes out. And it also looks like the Russo brothers are teaming up with Chris Pratt and Millie Bobby Brown to make a new movie called The Electric State at over at Netflix, uh, though notably Netflix has had a couple of layoffs in the past week or so as they deal with the new reality of the streaming world letting go of 300 individuals. Uh, staying in streaming real quick, uh, Doctor Strange also had a good first week on its uh, streaming, opening to 2.1 million households over five days, according to Samba TV, and also topping VOD charts with its premium price point of $20. Um, so that's you know definitely doing good for uh, um, for for Doctor Strange over there. Um, other than that, you know while my Oscar Death Race podcast is currently on break, though I am starting a mini project in the coming weeks called Best Picture Marathon, where I watch every Best Picture winner ever. It's take me about seven years or so, but that's neither here nor there for this podcast. Um, anyway, the Hollywood Critics Association is doing a mid-year award ceremony for films that they that have come out so far, um, kind of, I guess, to keep themselves in the news cycle. Um, while I won't go over every film nominated, nominated for every category, they have nominated 10 Best Picture films. Um, in alphabetical order, we have Cha-Cha Real Smooth uh, on Apple TV+, Plus, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Marcel the Cell with Suzanne, uh, that Indian movie RRR, which apparently is, is doing gangbusters uh, over on Netflix. Um, we have The Batman, The Northman, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, Top Gun Maverick, and Turning Red. All accounts, by all accounts, these are solid films, and also a good segue for me to talk about one of those nominees, again, Marcel Cell with Tucson, in the segment What I've Been Watching. So, Marcel Cell is based on a series of three stop-motion sword films from about 2010 or so about a sea cell that can talk named Marcel, uh, who has these small sous as well as a, a little googly eye. Um, in the in the sword in the sword films, uh, Marcel is voiced by Jenny, comedian Jenny Slate, and he's being interviewed by an unseen documentarian uh, voiced by director Dean Fleischer Camp. It's a fairly charming, from my view, meditation on finding whimsy in the small things of life, and you know, being frustrated with things, you know, being being ecstatic at, at things, but just kind of existing and being. Um, at least that's how I interpret it. Um, the sword film went on to win Best Animated Sword at the AFI Film Fest 2010, as well as the New York International Children's Film Festival Grand Jury and Audience Prize. Um, so, you know, shortly after, they had a you know children's book come out, as well as they announced they were making a film about this uh, back in 2014, and seven years later, here we are. So, as far as YouTube videos that end up going full-length films made out of them, it's certainly a little bit more engaging uh, than probably what could have ever happened with Annoying Orange, if you know about that film. But on the surface, you know, you would wonder how they get this small three-minute stop-motion film out to a full 90 minutes and actually have a plot and all that. I'm pleased to inform you they actually pulled it off. Uh, first off, the production quality of the stop motion just looks a lot better, right? I mean, obviously, the first was like a bit of an amateur event 
uh, um, attempt, um, and it was mostly you know it was carried mostly by the voice acting and and this and the written script. But you know there was fairly limited animation of Marcel, mostly just shuffling back and forth across the the screen and just kind of looking facing directing the camera. Um, here we get some really more unique uh, unique takes on on how they how Marcel moves around, even going you know crawling up the walls by using honey to stick to the walls or you know rigging up contraptions to move around the house uh, in a in a more efficient manner for the tiny legs and or to even pull down fruit from the tree using a, a stand mixer right um and you know i i hear in building out that wall out of not only marcel but also adding a couple characters you have uh, marcel's grandmother connie um who's living in the house and you know the the documentarian dean has a little bit more of a fleshing out as you know kind of a b plot is him coming to terms with the end of his marriage um but from there you know the the film goes on as an exploration of what it means to have a community uh, about change and embracing change even when it might be scary uh, again kind of the original films of, of just existing and being um, and then you know, and then going out and, and, and exploring the big wide world, even if it's a little scary, right? Um, you know, Marcel, the kind of the, the main thrust of the plot, which is in the trailers, Marcel is the only one left in of, of, of their original community when his, his family of sea cells was taken away uh, by the prior inhabitants of the house they live in. Um, and, you know, he wants to find his community. You know, one particular call out I found really interesting was, um, you know, it kind of mirroring what happened in the real world. They had Marcel go and make and, and videos go on YouTube and get a little bit of an online following. But, you know, when, she turn, when Marcel sorry, so he turns to the online community to try to find help in finding the parents, all he gets is a lot of platitudes, a lot of well wishes, and then a lot of influencing TikTokers showing up in front of uh, the house they're staying at because they see the location online and getting people, like, flossing on the, on the front yard. So, um, yeah, it's definitely... And, and, and from there, he concludes that, you know, that's not necessarily... Fans don't necessarily make a community, which I think is an interesting take I haven't really seen on social media, on, on about social media before. Anyway, the, the film does keep it brisk and never really drags, but it does manage to be meditative in a way that those short films were while bringing in, again, kind of this elevated production quality. You know, I mean, they're able to get Leslie Stahl in 60 minutes to come in uh, on the, on the, uh, for the film, which I think is really interesting. So, um, you know, it, it, the film, I think, at its core, gives us a new perspective as we literally change our perspective to really look at the world through Marcel's eyes and also through Dean's character growth. Um, overall, I cannot recommend Marcel to sell enough whenever it goes wide. It's a heartwarming tale. It will give you a new perspective on life, much in the same way everything, everywhere, all at once did earlier this year. Um, I actually looked at all my films that I've seen for this past year and how I've rated them since we're about the halfway point, uh, and only two of them have been a five out of five uh, of films that released this year. Um, those were Everything Everywhere All at Once and Marcel the Cell, um, which makes me maybe an A24 stand, but in any case, it is a strong recommend for me to check this little, um, uh, uh, little anthropomorphized cell out. Uh, with that, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Uh, next week, I'll be back a, a little bit later in the week, though, again, I guess I am late this week, but definitely will be because I'm out of town at least through Tuesday. Um, I need some time to get back into work and all that. So uh, for, in the meantime, suit me ideas if there's anything I should cover uh, via email at bogcofferswatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at B-O-WatchPodcast or so is on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review or at the very least tell a friend that any of that helps. Uh, if you're feeling extra generous, consider supporting us on Patreon, which let me make not only this show, but all of the podcasts I work on. Uh, links to all of that will be in our show notes. Uh, numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing production is provided by Ninsboy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. Music